Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bavarian Podcast Works for what is actually going to be one of our first flagship episodes in quite some time. I know a lot of us have had some scheduling conflicts and whatnot, illnesses pop up and whatnot. And today I am joined once again by BPW and BFW's infamous I Need No Name. First, I just I just got to ask, I know it's been some time since we've linked up. And so how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing much better now. Like my exams ended on Thursday. I needed all of Friday to recover. And then I got knocked down by Bynes loss on Saturday. And so I've been recovering all day today as well. But I'm doing, I guess I'm doing fine. Sounds like there's a storm outside. So you might hear that occasionally. But other than that, yeah, it, it's it's going, I guess. it's. I'm just really tired, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I know that I had known, our listeners didn't know that you were pretty much buried in exam work for the past couple of weeks. But at the time we're recording, you know, we haven't really done a full flagship show since Bayern has clinched their 10th consecutive Bundesliga title with the 3-1, their classical win over Borussia Dortmund. Um, I know that that mood and, you know, images of the Weissbeerdusch at the Allianz Arena, the beer was flowing. Uh, we saw Thomas Muller get Bastian Schweinsteiger at the ESPN FC booth uh, or ESPN Plus booth, uh, rather. But in just so quickly, those feelings were quelled with just a poor performance at Mainz uh, yesterday at the time of recording. And apparently now half of our players are off on a two-day excursion in uh, Ibiza or Ibiza, however you're supposed to pronounce it. Um, you might you might know better than than me. But so this is the first time we're, we're linking up. A lot has happened between now and then um, or then and now rather. But even aside from all of that, something that just seems to be creating a lot of tension around the club is contract and contract renewals. And I think most of us know Muller and Neuer are expected to sign new deals, and that's less of an issue. But the big one in that we've got circulating around the club is Lewandowski. It seems like the narrative around this saga changes you know, every other hour. We know that he's asking for a lot of money per year for an extension, and we now know that he wants somewhere around a three-year extension, which most pundits and former players for FC Bayern are kind of warning against. I know Lothar Mateus was saying this, and that we should have done this extension much earlier. I know that Didi Haman was saying we should really not be doing doing anything more than two years given Lewandowski's age, but Barcelona want to buy him. I think everybody kind of knows that at this point, if you've been following Bayern or Lewandowski news. But in just what do you make of this situation? Because it really seems like it is 50-50 and open-ended at this point, whether he's going to wind up leaving this summer or signing an extension, whether it be one year, two year, or three years. So the thing is, I think that this transfer saga is going to make or break buying Munich for at least the foreseeable future, at least the next five years or so. Because as far as I'm concerned, Robert Lewandowski is the best striker in the world, bar none. And he is going to remain that way for at least another two years. And beyond that, for at least another one or two years, he's going to be up there, like at least top three or top five. So thing is that I am very confused by the incredibly hostile standoff that is going on between the club and its star player in the middle of the season. Because not only does this affect Lewandowski, his concentration on the pitch and the atmosphere around the club, it's going to affect all the other players who, you know, they they read the same news reports that we do. They are not shielded from them. And you sit there and you see and you know that this guy is an absolute superstar. And when you are confronted with the idea that he's not going to be playing with us 
next season. And we are already coming off the back of a very disappointing season. When you're confronted with that, that's going to hurt morale. And that's going to, you know, that's not going to be helpful for a team that is looking to close out the last few games, which aren't really that meaningful. It's just a basic thing about numbers that I want to point out to everyone who talks about this Lewandowski thing. We are being asked to give Lewandowski a raise. He earns, what, around 25 million gross a year. And I think the extensions Harvey is asking for, he wants him to go up to around 28 or 30 million, which is a lot. Like that would make him one of the highest paid players in the world. He is already one of the highest paid players in Europe. And that would put him really right up there. But like, I just have to say this. Because Lewandowski is already here, the amount of money that it would take to extend him, even on that kind of yearly salary, like $30 million a year, is cheaper than buying someone for, like, say, let's say $40 million, $40, $45 million, and then giving them something like a 15, 10 to $15 million a year salary. It's just, like, that's how it works. When you don't have to pay a transfer fee, it becomes a lot easier to pay higher salaries. And Lewandowski, since he's already here, there's no question of a transfer fee. There may be a question of a new contract signing bonus, but I don't think that's a big factor for negotiations. I think the main factor is the fact that Lewandowski, he is, I think he and Zavavi, they are trying their luck a little. They're trying to see how much money they can really squeeze out of Bayern because they know that Bayern, we really do need to keep him they know that there are no real options to replace Lewandowski on the market. And they know that there is no one else at the club who can step up if Lewandowski were to leave. Because who who do you think could step up? You don't have... Sané is not performing that great. Gnabry, he is probably our second best goal scorer after Lewandowski. And he is not... Like, he is so inconsistent. And then you have Thomas Muller. Thomas Muller is probably going to stick around, but... Thomas Muller, he works best with Lewandowski up top. So there is no guarantee that by losing Lewandowski, you keep having the Thomas Muller that you've had for so many years because their connection that they have is special. And everyone else, like, you can't replace those Lewandowski goals that he provides, like 60 goals a season. I think that's why, just on the basis of that calculation alone, Bayern Munich's bosses, we will find out some kind of solution to this and keep Lewandowski at the club at some cost. Like, it's not going to be cheap, but it is probably, everything considered, the cheapest option available to us. Yeah, and I think it just should not get lost in translation ever that, you know, age for an average player might be one thing, but age for Lewandowski should be considered another thing. I think his injury track record over the course of all of the seasons he's had at Bayern Munich has just been phenomenal. I mean, this guy can keep himself in exceptional shape and firing on all cylinders. And I think it was last season, he only missed the PSG Champions League quarterfinals because of that knee problem and then was rested once, I think, uh, in the Hinrund against like FC Kuhn or something like that. And then this season, he's barely missed any games, if any. And then, okay, yes, you could argue the knee injury in the season that was impacted by COVID 2019-20, but you know that wound up being a blessing in disguise because we had him back when action resumed at some point in May of 2020. You know, We would have potentially missed him for that second leg against Chelsea in the Champions League that season. But you know whether he's... 36 or 37 at the end of whatever uh, the duration of a contract extension would be 
from Bayern Munich's perspective, I think exactly what you had said is it should be every option should be exhausted to, you know, kind of pay up to make sure that we tie him down for an extension because Lewandowski at 36 or 37 is just one thing. And any other footballer at that age is another thing, especially as an outfield player. I really don't see that as much of a concern as some of the other pundits do, or even some of the former FC Bayern players do. I'm not really too sure knowing his track record and his lack of injury track record, so to speak. So many of them are quick to kind of wave the uh, the red flag at that, if that makes sense. I don't really know why, but as you were saying before, he's a completely irreplaceable player. You know, you're not going to get anybody like him. And yes, you could bring up the Erling Haaland uh, comparison, but he seems to be injured for good portions of the season. And I think it's pretty clear that he's going to wind up going to Manchester City either this summer or at some point in the near future. So, you know, you talked about replacements. We've been linked with Sebastian Allaire because, you know, there's a potential swap deal going on with Ryan Gravenberg, Nusar Masrawi and Ajax have expressed their interest in Joshua Xerxes who's on loan at RSC Anderlecht in uh, Belgium. So potential link there, but regardless of who it's going to be, we even heard like these crazy shouts of Ronaldo potentially coming to Bayern, which I just can't visualize at all him in a Bayern shirt or in the Bundesliga at all. Um, I don't really know where that rumor sprang from, but all of these replacements, as you mentioned, they just don't fit the bill. And it's difficult to see anybody except for him. That day is going to come when he will no longer be a player for FC Bayern, but until then, I think everything that you just mentioned before is is paramount from the club's perspective. Yeah, well, the thing is that it's funny to me that the Ronaldo rumors have come up, right, as Lewandowski, you know, these rumors are to of him going to Barcelona heating up. Because a few years ago, right before the sextuple, we said, well, I think back when Ronaldo went to UA, uh, Carlos Rummenigge said to the media, uh, we don't go after players like Ronaldo because they're way too old for us. So it would be very ironic if after saying that to a younger Ronaldo, we turn around and buy Ronaldo when he's even older and has declined even more. But I think Ronaldo is actually very relevant to this Lewandowski debate because look at how he's performing at this age in a league such as the Premier League. So Ronaldo is probably more similar to Lewandowski in the sense of how they look after themselves, how they model their entire career, how they, you know, how they basically just play, how they have this dedication yeah. to the game. So, more or less, he's even been playing as a striker for Manchester United, even though yeah. they've been struggling. So he yeah, can. Be and it's not one. really, it's not really his main position, but like, yeah. So the thing is that. Ronaldo is probably a good argument in favor of keeping Lewandowski around because, I mean, look, Real Madrid thought that they were getting a good deal, getting 100 million euros for Ronaldo back when he was, what, in his early 30s? I think late, mid-30s, I don't know. I don't know how old he was when he was leaving uh, Real Madrid, but um, he left uh, to Juventus, and I'm pretty sure Real thought that they were getting a good deal, but they did end up struggling the subsequent seasons. And it's only now, like four years later, that they are back in the upper echelons of Europe and winning, unable to dominate La Liga consistently. So losing Ronaldo for them, those goals that they lost in the short term, they could not do anything to make up for it. And they spent a lot of money on guys like Eden Nazar, And it just didn't work out for them. They moved on from Ronaldo too early. If he was still there, he would still be scoring goals for them. And I think they would be a lot better 
than they have been in recent seasons. So I think that's a template for what we should be doing with Lewandowski instead of saying, okay, Louis, your time is up. Uh, instead of that, we should be saying he's still valuable to us and we should hang on to him as long as that value exists. Now, of course, I know that everyone is a little bit worried about what happens when he's 36 and his production has declined by like 50 to 60%. But the thing is that Lewandowski already scores so many goals that even at 50%, that would still make him one of the top strikers in Europe. So, I mean, like, how can you argue against that? You have to keep him and you have to keep the other guys around him, like Emmanuel Nora and Thomas Muller, even at their age, this is the same argument we are having. Footballers nowadays, they, they are not limited by the age restrictions that used to plague footballers of earlier generations. They can play much longer careers. You have guys like Ronaldo, Zlatan, Buffon, all these guys were just outlaws in the previous generation, but it's going to become more and more common to see footballers stay world-class well into their 30s and maybe into their late 30s if that's possible. And I think Lewandowski is one of those players. Even Thomas Muller, I think, is one of those players. Nor he's already 36 and he's not showing any signs of slowing down. So Bayern should hold on to these veterans and keep them happy on the squad. And the thing is that all the other options, you tell me, Masham, I just think that all the other options, they really kind of suck. Yeah, it, it, for all the reasons we've just been discussing so far in this episode, I think I would even go as far as sticking my neck out on this pod and saying the majority of Bayern fans are probably in the camp of our front office offering a little bit more money than they might have been anticipating or are typically used to uh, for even one of their top earners you know, in that, in that top bracket and just doing whatever to get him to sign an extension for at least two years because... I agree with what you said about the production level. And with that, it's not as if if he signs a two-year ex- extension, it's not as if next season and the two seasons after that, we can't already, it's not as if we, we can't be planning for an eventual replacement then and trying to get them and work them into the squad. I mean, that will be going on behind the scenes and probably already is. It's not as if we're just going to be like, okay, all of our eggs are in the Lewandowski basket and we're just not going to plan the rest of the, the squad or the attacking part of the squad for the future because we've gotten Lewandowski tied down to a two-year extension. That's not how it works. You know, our our front office, despite what people may think, they are very forward-thinking, and they're well aware of that. But yeah, some of the the names for the replacements, you know, we've heard Ronaldo, we've heard uh, Sebastian Allaire. Uh, I can't even remember anymore off the top of my Lukaku. head. Lukaku. Um, wrote something Luk- about Lukaku. Lukaku uh, just oh, yeah, today, Darwin, so, yeah. Uh, Nunez. Nunez. Um, um, it's just... Yeah. Yeah, it's... I don't want to say apples to oranges. I think that's a little cliche for this, but because of a player that has so much Bayern DNA in them, and we talked about those productivity levels, season after season after season, um, you know, I don't like the argument that some people... Yeah, and I don't like the argument either where some people say, oh, he goes missing in big games or whatever. I mean, I think that's a a load of hogwash. There might be some data to back that up, but I I don't think his productivity levels or his work rate drops in those big moments. And I, I like... It's just so hard. I think any Byron fan would agree. It's so hard to picture that day. It will come eventually, but that day when he's no longer wearing a Byron shirt, or if he perhaps will be wearing another shirt in one of Europe's top five leagues before he eventually retires to the MLS or uh, something like that. I believe he said he wants to do that at some point in the future. But in, I kind of have to pose this last question to you about this because 
all the, you know, everything is pretty much on the table at this point. We know Barcelona want him, even after getting uh, Depay and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, which is befuddles me, you know, I really don't like the model of those debt spending clubs, so to speak, but we know um, what his camp is going to be asking for. We know that our front office isn't necessarily sold on spending that much money yet uh, to get an extension done, but we know that uh, his agent, Pini Zahavi, has a little bit of a history with us, and uh, our front office doesn't exactly see eye to eye with him. We know a few seasons back, he was really heavily shopping Lewandowski around to Real Madrid. Uh, I think it was maybe three, four seasons ago. And that caused a lot of verbal jousting between Ilyahonis and Zahavi at the time to the point where he called him a green oh, yeah. piranha. I know a lot of you remember no, that. No, no, the piranha Wait, thing think... was Alaba. Oh, it was. It was. You're absolutely right. But case in point, it was the same agent. Yeah. Um, and even uh, last year, I believe, Kings of Coman hired him on a short-term yeah. period to try and, then, and broker a deal to the Premier League and then was fired. Fired him and then got the raise that he wanted. So maybe if Lewandowski should see that as a roadmap. So do you think in more of this stalling right now is coming from Zahavi or do you think I, more of it I is think, coming I from think, our front look, office? I think a lot of it is coming from the front office because we are trying to call Zahavi's bluff. I don't think that Lewandowski really wants to leave. We know what Lewandowski is like when he wants to leave. We, we saw it back in 2017-18 when he really, really wanted to go to Real Madrid. And I think if he had been in the situation he finds himself now, where he has only one year left on his contract, he would have been gone back then, okay? Because it was very clear that he did not want to stay at Bayern. There was no negotiations to raise his contract or anything like that. It was just a simple thing that he wanted Bayern to sit down with Real Madrid and make a transfer happen. That is not the case today. The case that we've seen today, you constantly see Zahavi making very, very public negotiations with Barcelona, where he says, where he says that first of all, you get this report that Lewandowski very much wants to move to Barcelona. Second, you get that Lewandowski is going to take a pay cut to move to Barcelona, which is, I mean, who who does that? Why would you do that? And then the third thing that you hear is that. Barcelona will pay 40 million to get Lewandowski. First of all, where is Barcelona getting that 40 million from? And second of all, how are they affording Lewandowski's current wages, let alone whatever raise that you get whenever you move clubs? And third, why why would Bayern ever accept 40 million for Lewandowski? And finally, in the midst of all this, Zahavi keeps trying to negotiate with Bayern. This is clearly a way for him to break down Bayern's walls a little bit. And he wouldn't be trying that if Lewandowski really, really wanted out and really just wanted to go to Barcelona. You know, I think that what is happening here is that Zahavi is just using this Barcelona thing as a bargaining chip to make sure that his client has some kind of leverage in negotiations because if he didn't, then the bosses would simply make the offer that same contract, maybe one year extension that they're probably giving to Neuer and Muller and Lewandowski would be forced to accept. And that's not the kind of guy he is. And I, I simply have to admit that Lewandowski is probably worth a little bit more than Neuer and Muller are at this stage. So that is also fair. That's why I think that Lewandowski, there is a decent chance that he may stay. And even if, and, and also I just, I just should just point out that Brazo confirmed in the media that Lewandowski, we won't let him leave this summer. So unless something changes radically, I don't think 
that Brazil was lying. Like, I think that Brazil very much fully intends to keep Lewandowski, whether we sign an extension or not. So in which case he might have the option to leave on a free next summer. But that's again, that that benefits fine in a way because it gives us more time. And next summer, Lewandowski will be 34. Number of clubs that will want to sign him will be even smaller. And the salary offers that he will be getting from those clubs will be smaller still. So at that point, he might be tempted to stay at Bayern. So no matter how I look at it, I think the best outcome and the most likely outcome for this is that Lewandowski and Zahavi and Bayern, we all work out a deal to keep him at the club. Because like Lewandowski leaving Bayern Munich this summer would be a seismic thing, like something that I don't expect. I think it's possible. Like I would give it a 30%, 35% chance of happening, but I wouldn't say that it's the most likely outcome. I would have to agree. I wouldn't give it any more than 30 to 35%. I just have to slide this joke. I mean, maybe Bayern's going for three seasons in a row, you know, just letting a superstar go on a free transfer, you know. Yeah, that would be, at that point, the board would need to 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 fire itself. I'm sorry. (laughs) Because look, I mean, (laughs) winning winning the sex tuple and then losing Thiago, Alaba, Lewandowski, I mean, that's that's sexual. So I think that's a good place to segue to what we we want to talk about That is kind of comparing Nagelsmann's first season in charge of the club, obviously this season, and last season, which was Hansi Flick's last season in charge of the club for his short term year, obviously a season after winning the sex tuple, becoming FC Bayern legend, and I think we all know the rest, but I had actually seen a tweet floating around last week um, prior to their Klasker kicking off, where it actually broke down the Bundesliga points, uh, goal difference, and table position at that point this season versus last season. We were actually better off this season at that stage at the same point than we were last season under Hansi Flick. And in just to, to resurface or trace back, rather, last season, same day of people call exit at the same time against Holstein Kiel, obviously this season against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Exit from the Champions League at the same stage of the quarterfinals. Obviously, last season it was PSG. This season it was Villarreal, who arguably far less significant of an opponent than PSG. And I really don't think we had any business losing to Villarreal and probably should have beat PSG last last season as well. But in just to kind of tie that together, I mean, do you think too many people are too harsh of Nagelsmann? Because the numbers suggest that our season is statistically actually going better this season than it was last season. I know that there's been a lot of issues with the back three versus the back four. And a lot of people have been very critical of Nagelsmann trying to tweak his tactics, uh, not making the right substitutions, using players out of position, so on and so forth. But do you think people are too impatient with him? Or do you think even though the numbers don't lie, we were just playing better football under Flick last season, one season after winning the sextuple? Yes, you just answered it for me because everyone knows <laughs> how I feel about Nagelsmann's season so far. The fact is that this is possibly the worst season I have seen Bayern Munich play since I started supporting the club. But to be fair, I started supporting it in 2013. So, sorry, 2012 was my first game, but 2012-13 was my first season. So, I, I my when you start off with a treble, you can't, you, you can only go downhill from there. But the thing is that, look, I know that a lot of people will bring up the fact that we have more goals scored this season. We have fewer goals conceded. We have more goal difference and this and that and whatever. But just 
look at how we are playing. Look at the quality of football on display. Compare it to what we saw on the flick. It is not even close. Okay, I know that stats are, you know, unbiased and they are objective and this and that. But look, at some point, you have to stop being blinded by the statistics and just look at what is going on on the pitch. Okay, the Bundesliga is not what it was last season. And last season, under Hansi Flick, we had a lot of factors working against us that Nagelsmann did not. First of all, there was fixture congestion. Nagelsmann did not have any fixture congestion to deal with. Remember what it was like last season? We had the UCL mini tournament starting in August, which is where the season normally starts. And just a few, just a couple of weeks after playing a UCL final, we had to face FC Duran in the Pokal. And immediately after that, the season started with a Super Cup, Super Cup, actually the season opener and then the Super Cup, because that's how weird that season was. And then we kept on playing until the winter break, which happened at a weird time, not even half of the fixtures played. And then we had a shortened winter break because of the pandemic, only three weeks instead of the usual four, which of course affects us a lot. And after that, an extra long Rukrunda, on top of which we had the Club World Cup. So Hansi Flick, a coach who likes his team to go at 110% in every single game to make his pressing tactics work. This was probably the most challenging schedule that could have been possible for him. If we had not, not won the sextuple beforehand, it would have been much easier for him, which is kind of, sorry, if he had not won the treble in the season beforehand, it would have been a much easier second season for him, which is, I think, a little bit ironic because the treble is exactly what he's going to be remembered for. But Nagelsmann did not have that handicap from August to um, the middle of the, what is it, the middle of the season. He played the absolute box standard Bayern Munich fixtures. We had the Super Cup the halfway mark of the Bundesliga, the half fixtures, and only two rounds of the Pokal. That was it. Second half of the season, no extra fixtures whatsoever. We were already out of the Pokal, which is very rare for us at such an early stage of the season. Almost always, even last season, we played the second round of the Pokal uh, very late. So almost in, what, was it February or something? Whereas not having any midweek fixtures, pretty much the entire Rukrunda, we had only, what, two games against RB Salzburg and two games against VRL. That is a manager's dream in terms of just having time to rest your players, get your team back into shape. And in spite of that, in spite of the luck of getting Alfonso Davies back in time for VRL, getting Goretzka back, Nagelsmann's team has been struggling on the pitch since, what should I say, since about... Um, how should I say? It's about December, really. I, in fact, even November wasn't that good. Ever since, uh, ever since we started experimenting more under Nagelsmann, I think that our performances have been tanking. And I remember back in October, we were saying that there was a market improvement in everything that we were seeing. And even I could have agreed a bit, but I remember saying on the podcast, these improvements are just a little bit skin deep and we need to see more because it looked like while there were some like small issues that had been fixed, like for example, the defense, defense was conceding far fewer goals. After that, 
um, we started conceding more and more and more. And then it eventually just came to a head where pretty much the entire team, defense, attack, midfield, it just looks so much worse than it did under Flick, even though the goals and assists, they keep coming in. One thing I should also point out that the Bundesliga, I keep saying that it's weaker. Why do I say that it's weaker? You look at Dortmund. Dortmund, this season, they were comfortably second place. Despite that, pretty much every single Dortmund fan you talk to, you they will tell you that their football this season has been miserable. They cannot string two good performances together, and even their good performances leave a lot to be desired. They could not get out of one of the easiest UCL groups I have ever seen a German team get, okay? And then when they got dumped into the Europa League, everyone thought that based on the squad they had, they would be favorites for it. But instead of that, they got knocked out by Rangers who aren't even top of the table in the Scottish Premier League. Just think about that for a second. Then you have RB Leipzig. RB Leipzig, not only did they lose two key players, in fact, not just two, they lost quite a few key players. They've lost Upamecano to us, Sabitzer to us, they lost Kanate to Liverpool, and then they lost Nagelsmann to us. And they made what was essentially the wrong hire in the form of Jesse Marsh. So for basically half the season, they were a non-factor really. And that is another thing that really hurt them. Now we are seeing them play up to their level. That's why they seem to be dominating pretty much the Europa League because they're not a Europa League level team. They never should have gone down to the Europa League in the first place. They are what, a Champions League level team? They should have been in the round of 16 at the very least, maybe even the quarterfinals. And they should have been competing for Bayern with the t- for, for the title with Bayern. So that's another thing that we got lucky with this season, that RB Leipzig were nowhere near as good as they could have been for most of the season. Then you have teams like Gladbach. Gladbach was so much worse. Wolfsburg looked so much worse. Frankfurt, they look worse domestically, but they seem to have this giant killing mentality in Europe that is serving them well, but they are a cup team. They are a quintessential cup team. They are not a team that can really do bad things to you in the league. Even so, we've already lost to them once and they might lose to them again, I think. Anyway, and the other thing is that you have teams that look like they have improved. For example, Freiburg and Hoffenheim, but I posit that they have not improved in so much as the competition that they had for the top of the table last season has just gotten so much weaker that they were able to climb up. And I don't think in a healthy, strong Bundesliga that Freiburg would be able to climb as high as they have been able to. So based on all of that, putting all of those things together, I think Nagelsmann has severely, severely underperformed especially given the squad that he has and no amount of transfers or this and that and other and the other thing none of these things will help him arrest the slide that he has entered Bayern into unless he fixes himself okay he needs to fix his tactics he needs to fix his approach and based on that uh, we need to get better yeah it's just Listening to everything you were saying there, I think it's a very valid point that especially this season, it's like all of our rivals seem to have taken points off of each other that just greatly impacted us. You mentioned RB Leipzig. It's interesting to think about how they would have fared had they just you know hired Domenico Tedesco right away because I think they've looked to completely revitalize size or excuse me, revitalized side under him after letting Jesse Marsh go, who's obviously now at Leeds United in the Premier League. Dortmund, just like, I believe they even lost to Val, Val FL Balkum yesterday. And we can't really say much because we can't we say much about that. Runda, but 
Uh, yeah, exactly. But it, it does seem that just every opportunity that's been there for the taking for any of the teams that are within a shout of giving us the most trouble, obviously your Leipzig, your Dortmunds, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, who I'm surprised what they're apart from. Tom, Tom, you're cutting out. Okay, I think we've lost Tom. Okay, well, everyone, I think we need to leave it at that for today. Uh, this was a very difficult podcast to record. I think Tom is having some very big issues with his internet connection. We already had to record the second part twice, and I think I'll leave it at that. So again, follow us on whatever podcasting platform you like, Spotify, Google, Apple, whatever, and we will see you next time, which will probably be our preview of next game. I don't know who that is, but it should be interesting. And please excuse this difficult and kind of disjointed podcast because we were experiencing a lot of technical difficulties today. So thank you for listening and remember to comment uh, your opinion on the blog and we will see you next time. So good night.